I think everybody should go on a missions trip. They're powerful in your life. You know, we know it's been a tough year for missions, but uh, we've got local churches that we've sent out and support and two by two trips are, are still fairly easy to get people on and big trips are coming back. So anyway, I think everybody needs to be considering the idea that God wants you at least once to get uncomfortable to get on the plane, whatever it is that makes you uncomfortable, and to get out and to go and to trust God with it and to see how he moves in your life. We're in Psalms 119. We will pick it up from where Chris Miller left us off last time. Give me a second. We're getting organized up here. All right. We'll be picking it up in verse 65 is where we're at today. Let me, let's read the passage and then, and then we'll jump into it. So just so we get this whole thing kind of in our minds. Psalm 119, starting in verse 65. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now... Have I kept thy word? Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. The proud have forged a lie against me, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart is as fat as grease, but I delight in thy law. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver." And so that's the content we'll be looking at today. Now, as we've been working through Psalm 119, and this started, you know, quite a while ago with Van and, you know, other men have picked it up as well, but we've seen a lot. David has made a lot of requests in this chapter so far. Uh, verse 17, he said, deal bountifully. Verse 18, open thou mine eyes. Verse 22, remove me from reproach. 33, teach me. 34, give me. 35, make me. 36, incline my heart. That stanza was all requests. 37, turn away mine eyes. 38, establish thy, thy word. 39, turn away my reproach. And on and on it goes. So there's been a lot of requests that David has made to the Lord throughout the course of this chapter. He's made many personal declarations as well. Verse 7, I will praise thee. Verse 8, I will keep thy statutes. Verse 11, thy word have I hid in mine heart. Verse 14, I have rejoiced. Verse 15, I will meditate and on and on and on. He's made that type of a declaration, you know, as he's worked our way through this chapter, we've seen David just declaring personal convictions uh, as we've worked through. He's made a few really strong declarations about the Lord, but up until this point, only a few. Last time, uh, Chris Miller kicked us off in verse 57 with, thou art my portion. David is making a powerful statement there about the character of the Lord and about his own ability to depend on that character. So he's making these strong declarations about who God is. But once we get here, in this section, David makes quite a few really strong declarations. And uh, this is the first time that he's actually come out with this many strong declarations. A lot of it is about who God is. And so we get this collection of, uh, of, of kind of just strong sayings from David. And we're going to look at those because I think it's important to look at these, these five different things that, uh, that David says real powerfully here. But then as we get to the end of our time, we're going to settle in onto, uh, onto one focus, and it's going to be affliction. Because he brings that up a couple times here in this chapter. And so we're going to talk about affliction as we get to the end. Uh, so that's just kind of the, you know, the, the roadmap as to where we're going. But if, when we start in verse 65, the very first thing that, that David declares is this, thou hast dealt well with thy servant. And so the very first declaration that, I, that he makes is this, God is good in his dealings with me, period. And David just starts there, and that's a big declaration. That's a really big saying. And when you think back, if you know David's life and you know the things that he's been through and, and you just consider all of the different stuff that he's worked through and struggled with, fair and unfair, 
for David to look at all of that and go, you know what? Here's the summary. God has been good to me. In fact, he's been good in the way he's dealt with me. Can you say that? Can you look at all that God is doing and say that God has been good in the way that he has dealt with me? Good, bad, and ugly of life. His dealings with me have been good. Here's the thing that he, that he, that he puts on right behind that. Thou hast dealt well with thy servant, O Lord, according unto thy word. And here's the thing. There are no mysteries in, how, in the way that God is going to deal with man. He's already declared it. He's already laid it out. He's already told us in his word how he is going to deal with you based on your hearts and based on your actions and based on your decisions and, 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 you know, and based on the way that other things will come into your life. There's no mystery. And this is a good thing. We know exactly how God is going to deal with us because he declared it in his word and he doesn't change. He doesn't go back on his word, right? He's not that kind of father. It's like, ah, you know what? Schedule change, sorry. I know I told you I'd do this. That's me sometimes. I know I said I'd do this, but we can't do it today. Or I'm, I'm unfortunately, I can be an inconsistent father at times. Some days I'm more frustrated than others and that gets taken out on my kids. And they're like, what's the deal? And I'm like, man, because I'm not God. But listen, he's not like that. And so David makes this declaration that no matter what, he's been good. Listen, he is fair. He is just. He is right in his dealings with us, even when it's hard. Even when on the surface, we might say, this doesn't seem fair, God. Why? Why is this going on? How many of you have asked that question? You don't have to necessarily raise your hand if you don't want to. Why, God? This doesn't seem fair. This doesn't seem right. Why me? Why this? Why now? Can you stop then and go, God, that was dealt well with thy servant, and you've dealt according to your word. This reminds us of the importance of the fact that simply that God spoke. Had God not spoken, we would not have his word. We would not have his heart. We would not have his mind. We would not have instruction. Hebrews chapter 1 starts with how, how God at sundry times and in diverse manners spoke. He delivered the word to us. And without, without that attribute of him, we would have nothing of God except what we would glean from creation and glean from consciousness. But he spoke. Not only did he speak, but he wrote his word, and then he perfectly preserved it and delivered it to us. It would be hard for us to say that, that thou hast dealt well with thy servant according unto thy word if we have no idea what his word says. God, thanks for being faithful to your word. I know three verses. Shame on me. Unless you're new. Praise the Lord that you know three. We start somewhere. But God preserved his word and he, de and he delivered it to us so that we would know exactly how he deals with man and how we should deal with him. And at the end of it all, will we be able to agree with this strong declaration that David starts with, that God has been good in his dealings with me? You know, there's times... Even maybe even now, you may not want to agree with that statement, depending on what's going on in your life. But that's simply due to you not agreeing with God's word. That's not because God's out of line. It's because you are. It's because you need to get turned back to where his heart is, to where his word is. And so we have a key that comes out of this. There aren't, and I already said it, I just didn't advance my slide, but there are no mysteries about how God will deal with man. There are no surprises for you. If you read and study his book, he's already laid it out. You will know how God will respond to your heart and your decisions, as we already said. So this is the first key that David has given to us. No secrets, no surprises, no mysteries. That's better than me. 
It's better than most of us if we're honest parents, because we would say some days my kids are like, this is, this is a little different, dad, this is a surprise. What's going on? You caught me off guard here. My bad. He follows that up in verse 66. Teach me good judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandment. And here's uh, a request. So this isn't one of those strong declarations, but he follows that up immediately with this prayer. Uh, God, you have been good in the way that you deal with me. And then he follows that and he says, look, I do need something for you. I need you to teach me. And what I need you to teach me is good judgment. God, this is David's prayer. Give me discretion and give me knowledge. And this should be a key prayer for all of us. God, teach me good judgment. Help me to discern Help me to look at situations and know right and wrong, or sometimes when it's not just maybe right and wrong, help me to know the right way, the path, the, 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 your heart in this issue. God, help me to discern your plan in this. Help me to know your heart. This should become a regular request of ours as well. God, give me discretion, the ability to judge like you judge. Not, not even judge in the sense of condemnation, not even judging in the sense of, you know, punishment for right and wrong, just in the sense of being able to discern. Because there are a lot of decisions, big and small, that, that come up in our life. And oftentimes it's those small ones that we might say, I got this. I'm, I'm going to handle this one. I'll pray about those big ones, but these little ones, that's okay. God, I need your discernment. I need your, your ability to judge in every decision. And then he also says, I need knowledge. Now, both of those things begin with believing the commandments. Teach me uh, judgment and knowledge, for I have believed thy commandments. Because I believe, listen, it begins in a position of faith. Maybe you're not good at, at discerning. Maybe you don't have a lot of knowledge. You know where both of those things begin? Faith. Put your faith into the word of God, because I have believed your commandments. God, now look, show me from your word. Show me from your commandments how to get that type of discernment and knowledge. So it's, this is a request. It's a, I need to make wise decisions. I need to have good judgment. And then I need knowledge. I need to simply increase my knowledge of who you are and what your word says, because I need a higher baseline. I need to start from a, from a higher place, right? If I have low knowledge, then I have a smaller well to draw from, right? Uh, I, I'm going to have a harder time with those judgments and discernment, but praying for knowledge. How, how often do you pray for knowledge? For wisdom and understanding. Those things that God say are critically important in our life. Give me knowledge. Because the more I know about you, the more I know about your word, the more resources, the more tools I have to pull from my toolbox when it comes time to start making those decisions. We've all faced a lot of unique and challenging decisions over the last you know, two years, year and a half, whatever COVID's been. How do we manage this? Well, we seek his face and we ask for his direction. And you, know, you, and you can see it you know, play out. With, with, I would say people at, you know, just different levels, maybe in their walk with the Lord and the maturity with the Lord that you would see, you know, our pastor and, 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 and his leadership and his ability to make those hard decisions. Why? Because he starts from a place where he says, you know, he's got a lot of knowledge. He spent a lot of time just building that foundation. And, and so we need that. That should be one of our requests as well. Next, we got to get into the next verse here. We have another declaration here. And this one's kind of weird. Verse 67. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I have kept thy word. So this is the next de declaration. And it's a little bit weird, to be honest. Affliction leads me into obedience. Now that sounds backwards to a lot of us, right? Or from what we see. Like we see people that that things get tough and then they slow down or they quit because of oppression, because of the uh, affliction, because of the difficulties. Man, when things get hard, because this is a tool that Satan often uses to, to get us depressed or to get us to give up or to get us to quit. And he'll say, look, all this affliction, you should stop. It'd be easier if you quit. But here's what David said. 
before I was afflicted, I used to wander. Then when affliction came, I drew closer to the Lord. And this, you know, we're going to come, I'm just going to give you a, a, a quick, a quick word here, because we're going to come back to affliction. But this is the goal, is that affliction would cause us to press into the Lord. The hard times, the difficulties, the, you know, all the things that come in from the outside, from the inside, from the family, from the, from the government, from the world, from Satan, from my own flesh, that all of these afflictions, when they come, that they would lead me to a place where I realize I need more of the Lord in my life, and I need him in control. Genesis chapter 15 and verse 13. I didn't put the verse on here. I'll read it to you. And God said unto Abraham, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in the land that is not theirs and shall serve them and they shall afflict them 400 years. This is the first time any form of that word shows up in the Bible. God begins a relationship with Abram and he tells him, Hey, I'm going to be your God. I'm going to make a great nation out of you. Here's what you have to look forward to. 400 years of affliction. Ready? Should we be friends now? Like, that's an odd way to start a relationship. Hi, Rosie, I'm going to marry you. The first 40 years, affliction. You want to get married? <laughs> we may be on that path. I need to straighten up. God be merciful to her. This is what God promises people from the outset. And he just let them know up front, look, you're going to be my people. Here's what you have to look forward to. Affliction. Hopefully, you're not getting 400 years of it. It's not generation after generation. But here's the guarantee. I mean, life is going to bring you affliction no matter what. And then God says, look, you can have affliction out there or you can have affliction with me. Take your choice. But if you come with me, I'm not telling you you're not having an affliction. In fact, he begins it the other way. He says, come with me. You will have affliction, but you'll be my people, and I'll be with you. Exodus chapter 1 and verse 12. Uh, you know, we've, we've moved forward in the timeline. Um, the people are in Egypt now, uh, the, the children of Israel. It says this, talking about how a new pharaoh has come into power, and he started to afflict the people. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. That's this. The more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. Is that the purpose of that affliction in Egypt strengthened God's people. And the afflictions that come in our lives should work out to multiplication and growth. We should be more fruitful because of the afflictions that we have, not less. We should be stronger because of the afflictions we have, not weaker. Do any of you um, do any kind of gardening? Have you ever started plants indoors? Like, you know, you want to get a jump start, and so you, you plant some seeds. We used to. Um, before we went to Pakistan, we have a house over here, and, you know, we would try to garden. So we'd start seeds indoors when it's still spring, you know, and you know it's still going to freeze. And so they're indoors for like six weeks under a grow light. But the thing about those plants is... Uh, what I learned is once you move them outside, then they start, you know, growing again. It's like you can see it, the top half of that plant, it's all weak and flimsy. But the bottom part of that plant starts growing, it's a lot stronger. Why is that? Because there's wind. Because there's a little bit of affliction. And it actually causes plants to, to strengthen up and to get solid and to be ready to produce more fruit. So when you start plants indoors, um, I don't know, get a fan. Give them a little bit of affliction. Get a cat to go down there and like <laughs> use it as a as a as a as a box to do its business, and you'll lose a few plants, but the rest will get tough, right? Well, we're like that. We weren't designed to be planted in a greenhouse and protected from all of the elements and given a perfect uh, you know environment and perfect temperature to grow in. We were made to take root deeply, to take root downward, to get a strong. Uh, a trunk so that we can produce fruit. 
Psalm 102, you can just write it down, the whole chapter. It's a prayer of, for the, of the afflicted, a prayer of the afflicted. So as we talk about affliction, you, you come back to this, you're like, how do I pray? Well, you pray Psalm 102, all right? Uh, and so in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 11, Hannah's affliction caused her to draw closer to God and to cry out to him, I can't have a child. Oh, unfair. No, she's in the temple at the altar weeping and praying and crying out to the Lord. The affliction drove her there. Psalm 25, 18, look upon mine affliction and my pain and forgive all my sins. Another prayer of God, uh, of David crying out to the Lord. God, just look upon my affliction. I just need to know sometimes that you are actually looking and that you're here. Here's the key. Affliction, will, when rightly viewed, will drive you to obey God's word. It will not distance you from him. Next strong statement, as we keep working through. Uh, verse 68, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. So the next one is just this. You are good and you do good. And that is actually a little bit different than where we started in verse 65. Uh, thou, the, your, that was directed more in God's dealings towards David, where he said, the way you deal with me is good. But now he's just making a declaration of the nature of God. You are good. Period. Again, another one of these big sentences, not even in the way you deal with me, not tied to anything, independent of our relationship, independent of our interactions. All David is saying here is, is thou art good. And, and generally speaking, again, separated from me, you do good. You are good and you do good. Do you agree with that? I mean, all the time, in the dark times and in the hard times, again, is that, is that something that you can continually say, honestly say before the Lord? You're good, and you do good, and you do good to me. What David is, you know, the heart of that and the heart of the prayer that should come out of that for us is that because you're good, because you do good, well, teach me how to be like you. Just teach me how to live. And this is it. God's nature will drive you to want to be like him. When you get this mindset that no matter what, God is good. Knowing that and knowing his nature and being, being able to honestly say that at all times will drive you to say, I need to be more like him. My character has to change. I have to mature. I have to grow. I want to be good like God is good. And that will change the way you live your life. It will draw you to his word. It will draw you to his people. It will draw you to prayer. It will draw you to a place where you say, I want to, I just, I just want to be like him. How do I know him more? Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Next thing he says in, in verse 69 and, uh, and 70, and we're not actually going to spend much time here, but he says, the proud have forged a lie against me. So he shifts now, and, he, and he's talking about some of his own struggles and, and what's going on coming at him from the outside. The proud um, you know, are, are blaspheming his name and forging lies. And But, 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 okay, all of that aside, I have people that are, spreading rumors about me at work. I got people that are lying about me. I got people that are making me look bad, but I will keep thy precepts. I don't get to respond in kind. I don't get to get even. I get to keep remembering that God is good. And so I'm going to be good. And so David is making this declaration, but I will keep thy precepts with my whole heart. Their heart, those, those proud, those that are against David, their heart is as fat as grease. I like the imagery. Talk about David, the poet. And then it's more like David, the hillbilly. Like their, their hearts are like, you know, bacon. <laughs> Pig's fat. Their hearts are like grease. But I delight in thy law. 
there are and there will be enemies. There are and there will always be those who will, who will lie and who will make your life more difficult. Um, I don't want to spend too much time there, um, but our heart has to stay set. You see the, the distinction between two hearts there. My whole heart is set to their precepts. Their heart is fat as grease. So if you don't want your heart to be uh, fat as grease, bogged down and dripping with disgusting, well, I mean, good flavor, but you know. <laughs> you don't want to get your hands on it though. Uh, stay in his precepts. Next, verse uh, 71. It is good for me that I have been afflicted. Now he revisits this idea of affliction and makes another strong statement um, here in verse 71. Not just that affliction leads me into obedience, but this is now even more kind of bigger and broader. He's like, affliction is good. And that's, again, a really hard statement. When we're in it, we don't often come away saying, affliction's good. Thanks for this. I, I was um, a wrestler in high school. Wrestling practices are hard. Wrestling practices are a unique type of affliction would be a kind word. I think torture is a more appropriate word. And there was never a, a, a day where I'm an hour into practice going, yeah, this is good. <laughs> I'm in like my 99th minute of live wrestling with people that outweigh me by 40 pounds and I'm getting pounded and beaten to the ground. And, and I never once thought, man, this affliction is good when I was in it. Come tournament time. At the end of the tournament, when you're getting your arm raised, you go, oh yeah, I guess that affliction wasn't so bad. It did have a purpose. And the same would be true, you know, if you were any type of an athlete. Our kids are swimmers at the moment. They're on a, uh, a swim team. They've never learned how to swim before. So, um, you know, we're like the best way to learn how to swim is just join a swim team, get competitive. <laughs> um, for warm-ups, the coach is like, swim 300 meters. And our kids can swim like six meters and then they rest. <laughs> and they get out. And there's a few other families in, in the church that are on the swim team. The Franks, if you know them, their kids are on there. And they got out. The kids get, their, their kids got out the other day and they're like, I thought I was going to puke in the pool. Just so much swimming. Ah, well, same idea. Okay, so here's what David is saying, right? So it is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes, because in the midst of affliction, we start to learn the principles that are going to get us through the next affliction, the next hard time. Affliction is good because it strengthens us and it sets us up. All right? Oops, sorry, jumped ahead. Um, no, actually, I do want to get ahead, so because we're going to come back to affliction. So he's rejoicing in affliction. He says that affliction is my teacher. Affliction teaches us God's statutes. And so, again, David is praising affliction, which it, to me is just kind of a crazy idea. Last strong declaration comes in the very last verse where he says this, The law of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. I value your word over riches. And really over everything that comes with it. The power that comes with having money, the influence, the prestige, all of that. I value your word over gain. Another very just big and kind of powerful, bold statement from David. A statement that we need to, to, to evaluate and see if I can honestly say that. Right? Where is my heart? What has my, my focus? Do I miss church because there's an opportunity to make money? No, I get it. Some, some professions require that. I was an ER nurse. ERs are open even on Sundays. Maybe you didn't know that. And that required that there were times when I had to work on a Sunday. But I can tell you this. I never once traded on to a Sunday. Well, you're not a very good coworker. What if your coworker wanted off Sunday? Sorry, ask someone else. I'm not doing it. Period. Keep your overtime. Keep your your you know in the ER when when it got real busy. Not only 
you work extra hours and you get the overtime pay, but they would give you like a bonus. They'd call you and go, we'll give you $100 just to show up today, plus time and a half. Uh, it's Sunday and it's 6.30. I'm getting ready for church. Thanks, but no thanks. I did everything I could to trade off my Sundays, which actually isn't too difficult because you know the rest of the world wants their Fridays and Saturdays free. I say, I'll work your Friday. You take my Sunday. Deal. Easy switch. But listen, it's a, it's a mindset. And we can get caught up in it. That I have an opportunity to, to, to make a little extra money on Sunday. It'll never work out in your favor in the long run. It never will. And you go, but I'm, I'm always poor and I'm always just kind of stuck. I'm in this routine, in this rut, and I feel like I, I have to work on Sundays because God's just waiting on you to get enough faith to say, I'm going to follow him first. No matter what, call me and offer me $1,000. I'm not coming today because I need to be with God's people and I need to hear from his word. I guarantee God will see that heart. And in his promises, my people won't lack bread or shelter or sleep. He's going to give you those basic things that you need. So where is your heart in relation to, you know, your priorities? There is a bad teaching that, that has been spread around by one bad teacher. I mean, many millions of bad teachers. There's one bad teaching that has even come into, into this church, um, you know, that takes that to an extreme and says, well, then you shouldn't uh, save money. You shouldn't have a retirement. You shouldn't plan for the future. You're depending upon your, your wealth and riches instead of depending on God. Uh, that's foolishness. And that is not from the word of God. You should be here on Sunday. But when you work, you should also be preparing for the rainy day. You should be like the ant. You should be storing up for the future. Not so you can say, God, look at what I have for the future. My barns are big. I'm going to pull them down and big bigger. So you can say, no, uh, you know what? Sometimes things happen. You, you get hurt. You can't work for three months. You get laid off. The economy changes. You should plan for the future. All right. So hear that. Don't hear the, the other kind of crazy teaching. That is that is slipped in. And listen, crazy teaching slip in everywhere. Good church like this, sound doctrine, people will hear something and, and latch on to it. Um, run it against the word. Don't trust it. The word with poverty, having having the word of God with poverty is greater than having greater than having riches without the word. Every day of the week. So we want to focus in their last. 10 or 15 minutes, just on affliction again. I want to come back to that. So I gave you those strong statements. Those are all areas that, that we need to evaluate our lives in. But I want to walk us through three causes of affliction. Where does affliction come from? Why do we have affliction in our life? The first one is wickedness. As consequence for your sin, right? That one, you know, it's kind of easy to see. You can go, I... I don't have any money because I have to pay child support for all these kids from all these women. And I don't know why my life is so hard. This isn't fair. No, listen to me. You're in that mess because of your own sin. If you would have followed God's word, got married, saved a little money, <laughs> forget that part. If you would have just got married... Before you started having sex and getting a bunch of women pregnant, you wouldn't have this consequence. And this is, the com this is really common. We look at our affliction and we try to blame God or we try to blame the devil without first looking at our own life and our own choices. And a lot of affliction we bring upon ourselves because of our own rebellion, because of our own wickedness. A lot of you know my brother and you know his story. You know he's in prison right now. And a lot of us love him and you know are praying for him. But let's be honest. It would be foolish for him or for you to go, man, Paul's just in, in some affliction that he's got to get through right now. It's unfortunate what happened. 
No, it's not. He made some choices that landed him in a bad place. But what he's getting is the consequence for his decision. And that's big and small. Those two examples I gave are real big, right? But it happens you know, all the way down the scale to, to small bad choices that result in small consequences as well. And then we're like, yeah, it's just like my life is always uncomfortable. It's always so hard. Well, stop sinning. Stop the choices you're making. Your wickedness will bring affliction. Every time. You remember Noah's uh, heart? I'm sorry, Moses' heart? Uh, laid out in Hebrews, when, you know, it was talking about as he became a mature man. Remember, he grew up in, in the house of Pharaoh. He grew up with privilege, also knowing that he was uh, an Israelite. What was his heart when he grew up? Does anyone remember that? He chose rather to what? Suffer affliction with the children of God, to identify with God, to suffer affliction, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for, say it, a season. We'll take examples from David's life. First Chronicles chapter 21. Um, in the first seven verses, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. And God had made it clear to, to Israel, to David, don't worry about your numbers. It doesn't matter. Don't number the people. So he's being provoked. And, and David said to Joab and to the rulers of the people, go and number Israel. And, and uh, Joab is like, no, let's not do this. Joab even warns David, hey, this is bad. Make, let the Lord make you a hundred times more than what the people are, but don't number the people. David said, nope, I'm the boss. In verse 4, nevertheless, the king's word prevailed against Joab. Because um, at the end of the day, Joab knew. It's like, do it or he's going to cut my head off, I guess. So Joab went and did it. And uh, he numbers the people. And immediately, God responds to David's heart, to David's wickedness. And he comes and he calls them out on it. And God goes, you got a choice. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you some options here. Uh, you can you can get you know three years of uh, of of famine or how to go or three months of running from your enemies or three days of of pestilence. The sword of the Lord will come upon you. And David said, "Well, let me fall into the hands of the Lord, for he he ultimately is merciful." But thousands and Thousands of men of Israel died as the angel of the Lord walked through the host, slaying them. And it would be foolish for David to go, oh man, look at this affliction. What's going on? Why aren't our people dying? But that's what we do. We walk ourselves into sin. We make rebellious decisions, even in the face of men and women, godly counsel that would say, don't do this, and we still walk into it, and then you get into the mess, and you're sitting in your own mess, and you're going, why is it so messy here? Why does it smell like poop? It's your poop. And we told you not to go there. You know the other story, Second Samuel 11, David uh, his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, you know, both of them, big, big, big sin. Again, he just walks into sin. He tries to hide it with more sin. And uh, Nathan the prophet comes and calls him on it. And ultimately, it costs David a lot. Uh, it, it costs David his, you know, his son at the end of the day is what it, is what it ultimately cost him. But listen, this, that one, that's long. I mean, first they find out she's pregnant. That's months down the road. Then he kills Uriah. I mean, these, sometimes we read it like it was like day one, day two, day three, done. Like months later, he calls back Uriah and kills him. And then months later, this child is born before he dies. This, this is a, a year-long process of David being stuck in this affliction. It's not because of the enemy. It's not because of the wicked one. It's not because of anything but David's own sin. It cost him his son. 
it was a failure to pay heed to verse 66. It was a failure to, to continually pray, teach me to, to have good judgment and knowledge in my life that leads here. First Kings chapter eight and verse 35 tells us this, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against thee, if they pray towards this place and confess thy name and turn from their sin when thou afflictest them. And is the, the point here is that the sin, the affliction came because of the sin. The out is repentance. But the affliction comes because of sin. Second Kings chapter 17, verses 19 and 20. Also Judah kept not the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which, which uh, but, yeah, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. So they've rejected the Lord. And the Lord rejected all the seed of Israel and afflicted them. Judah rejected the Lord, affliction comes. Psalms 107 and verse 17. Fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquity, are afflicted. So affliction comes because of our rebellion. So take note of your life and take a minute to evaluate. Why am I being afflicted? Why are things difficult in my life? Is it because of my wickedness? Is it because of my own sin? Then the, then the fix, the out, is repentance. Next, why does, why does affliction come? Because of weakness. Not necessarily because of, uh, of sin or, and wickedness, but because of weakness. Because you're young. Because you're learning and you're growing. And, and along the way, you're being corrected. And then you see it as affliction. Now, this is really a perceived affliction on your part, but only because your perception is wrong, only because your position is wrong. This is actually a blessing. Listen, many Christians in the world, many even pastors and, and leaders in the world don't have men of God who would take time to shepherd them. I mean, to really shepherd them. Not just to stand at a pulpit and preach, but when a man of God comes to you and says, hey, you did this, you made this choice. Not the best choice, not wicked. You didn't do it out of a wicked heart, but look, here's an opportunity for you to grow. And you're like, ah, oh, my life's so tough. No, in this one, you should be saying, praise the Lord that I have a shepherd. Because there are pastors who have never been shepherded, who have never been taught, who have never been led. The ministry principle that we hold to, hold to here, one of, is, is that we are always training leaders. And that's a unique position among churches and among even disciple-making churches. It's like discipleship, some lessons, done. No, we are always training leaders. So if you feel like, you know what, they're always coming down on me. They're always showing me things that I can correct. They're always pointing out things that are wrong. Look at your heart. Are, are you there out of wickedness? No. You're there because you're young. You're there because you're still growing. Now, we do this with our kids. We instruct them and we, and we point things out so that they can make changes and grow. There's times where they just didn't know. Don't call that one an affliction. Because if you do, you're going to despise your, your pastors. You're going to despise your shepherds. You're going to despise the rod. The rod comes to help you grow. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. David understood this. This is a physical example. But in, um, uh, in 1 Samuel chapter 30, David and his men had gone out to war. And while they're out to war, you know, someone else comes in and attacks their their city and takes all their wives captive and takes everyone captive. And as David and his men come back, they realize that, that they, they have been attacked and overthrown. And, 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 uh, and in verse six, it says that David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. You see, he was just in a place of weakness. They'd been out fighting and, and they left the house unattended and someone came in. It wasn't sin. It wasn't wickedness. It wasn't against God's word. It's just that while they were out working and another area of life was overlooked, and this happens a lot, we start to dial in and, and you know, we're, we're growing in this area and, and we don't realize that, you know, on our backside, something is left a little, little open. And so we, we get attacked or, you know, 
Or our pastor just comes and says, hey, let's shore this up a little. But David encouraged himself in the Lord. He didn't despise his people, didn't get mad about the infliction. It was this, okay, Lord, thank you for what you're showing me. I want to be encouraged in you, and I want to grow out of it. And so verse 8, David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall we pursue, shall we go, shall we fight him? Are we going to recover all? And these are, these are the things that David did when he realized he's in a position of weakness. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He prayed and he sought the Lord and said, give me direction. Everybody will find themselves in this position. If you're growing. If you're not, then you're going to find yourself in position one a lot, probably. That wickedness. If you're here and you're trying to follow the Lord, and you have people around you who love you, they will come to you and say, listen, this could be done a little differently and a little better. There may be times where it feels like it's, it's piling on. You know what? You have someone who loves you enough to stop you and to help you correct that. Set your heart like David and say, I'm going to be encouraged in the Lord. I'm going to be grateful for men who would, who would shepherd me and lead me through my weaknesses so that I can grow. I'll tell you this. Um, here's David's cry. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. He just acknowledged that. It's a good place to be. Heal me, for my bones are vexed. Here's what, here's what God tells us through Paul in Romans chapter 14, verse 1. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye but not to foolish disputations. Receive the weak. That's our job. Encourage one another. And he adds to that in Romans 15.1. We then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. And I'll tell you this. I am at the same time a shepherd, a strong man who is bearing infirmities along with and shepherding some, and at the same time I am being shepherded by other men. I have pastors in this church, and we do this for one another. While we are shepherding and, 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 and training leaders and discipling, and, or maybe you are, are leading a fellowship, you're, you're discipling, you're leading a ministry, you're in kid town, you have a kid's class, and you have some role of leadership, and you go, you're, you are helping people along. If you're like me, I am at both times strong and weak. And I may come to you and say, hey, Here's an area of weakness. Let's grow. But that's not because I've got it all figured out. It's because three days before, I was in Sam's office going, I don't know what I'm doing, Sam. And he's like, let me shepherd you a little bit. When we recognize weakness, we should wrestle until we find the way to strength. The Bible talks about afflicting yourselves. Um, we won't look at any of those verses. We don't have time for it, but. You can look at that idea. In fact, Israel was commanded to afflict themselves. It was part of the Sabbath. Like the idea of fasting and setting aside times where we examine ourselves for weakness. When we find weakness, though, it should begin a wrestling match. It says, I've got to get stronger. Thirdly, third reason we, we suffer affliction, and we'll do this real fast. And I called it worship just so, you know, the W's sound good together. So you had, you had wickedness, you had, you had weakness, but now you have worship. You're just serving the Lord and you're worshiping and you're following him and you're actually you know, doing good and the enemy sees that. Suffering at the hands of the enemy simply because you're profitable for worship to the Lord. And we do face affliction because of this. And this is the affliction that we want to face. We want to face affliction because we're obedient. There are times when Satan will just attack you and you try to figure out the reason. Look at Job. No idea. Why is this going on? Because you're obedient. Well, praise the Lord. David, after he's uh, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, he gets called in to be the, the man that would soothe the, you know, the, the wild beast of Saul when he went crazy. And they bring him in to play the harp and... Uh, I didn't put that verse on there. That's all right. Uh, and, then, and then David goes out and kills Goliath and starts getting some acclaim. And he's just following the Lord. And all of a sudden, Saul's heart turns and he starts firing javelins at David to try to stick him to the wall and kill him. What was the reason for that affliction? David's own righteousness before the Lord. Well, praise the Lord. 
for those types of afflictions. Because you're following so close to the Lord that Satan says, I got to get rid of this guy. You know, Sean, I'm use your example that you brought up earlier, if I can. I'm, I'm afraid to get on a plane. That's not wicked. Everyone has different and real struggles. That's a real thing to work, wrestle with. I would say, you know, it's, it's a weakness, and God grew you through that. It was like, get on the plane for the mission, and you got to the point where you told Sam, hey, if I die serving the Lord, then I die serving the Lord. That's where you want to get to. So these are the reasons that affliction come in our life. Are you being afflicted because of your, your wicked choices, because of sin? Because of your, because of your rebellion? Because you've abandoned, and abandoned those strong statements that David made at the beginning? Are you being afflicted simply because you're young and you're growing? Someone came along and said, we need to do a little pruning. Pruning hurts. Ah, cutting off my arms. Yeah, but you grow more fruit that way. Are you being afflicted because you're worshiping? There's a right response in all of those. If it's the first, if it's wickedness, the only right response is, is repentance. If you're being afflicted because of weakness, then fortify the walls, get stronger, keep growing, stay in the fight, stay close to those who are, who are leading you. If you're being afflicted because of worship, then praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is where David said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Oh, but now that I've been in the battle, now that I've been afflicted, I just want more affliction because I'm so close to the Lord and Satan hates it. Bring me two more Saul's. Give Saul eight arms. Let him throw lots of javelins at me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we're all afflicted. At different times in our life, it, you know, the, the intensity is, is different and it's up and it's down. And to be honest, at different times in our life, for all of these different reasons, there's times we're afflicted because of wickedness and because of weakness. And there's times where we get it right and we're serving you and we're afflicted because of that. But God, help us to see all of these situations rightly. Where repentance is needed, God, bring us to our knees and bring us to a place where we would rather give up sin in order to be right with you than to try to do it our own way or, I don't know. God, don't let us blame you for our wickedness. God, where we're weak, help us to just to, to, to get the help we need to, to fortify the walls, to, to get around someone who's mature, to, help, to walk beside us. And God, if, if we're in one of those times where we're just being afflicted because we're obedient, then help us to rejoice in the affliction, knowing that you get the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.